but I don't I really don't have any regrets I really don't I've I've lived exactly how I've wanted to I've tried my hardest every single time I didn't win the matches that maybe I should have always won or but I really gave it my all so that for me is Hello everybody, welcome back to The Body Serve. I'm Jonathan. And I'm James. We are at the door, at the gate of Roland Garros. Mm -hmm. Your intro sounded very cheery. I'm in a good know, mood just, right now. It was now, just like, like really effervescent. I, that's, I <laughs> realized I... that the things that come out of my mouth sound like criticisms, but it wasn't actually. Oh, okay. For the record, this is an instance where James was on my neck. I know the... The prevailing what do you mean? discourse is that I'm always attacking you. Oh, oh, I see. Very, <laughs> just let, just very let me live, sensitive. Man. Before we get into all the tennis stuff, we were prompted by listener Tony, Tony J, to set up a body serve racket bracket on the Roland Garros app. And so you did that. And there's what, like 90 people in it right now? Yeah, I was shocked at how many people joined. I didn't actually know how to do it, so I'm, I'm just assuming that it's been set up correctly and it'll start working tomorrow. It was very last minute, and so hopefully, y'all, if you're listening to this before the tournament starts and you want to join, James will now tell you how to do so. I will? You will, because okay. I, I don't know how to do so it. So you need the Rolling Girls app. Once you're in there, go to More. And then RG Gaming Zone, and you'll see this thing that says Bracket. And then there's this little drop-down menu at the top, and you can go to List of Leagues, and you can search the body serve. Both the men's and the women's brackets are public, so you'll be able to find us and join. Or uh, I've tweeted about it a few times from the body serve Twitter account, so you can find it there as well. Again, apologies to those if you listen to this and it's too late. We really could not have gotten this episode out more well, earlier than no, we have. It was not possible for us this week. We're going to switch it up a little bit, and we're going to do the draw analysis first. There mm -hmm. is a lot to talk about between Rome and the, the Wimbledon points controversy and all that, but we want to do the draw first this time. Rather than go through a whole long draw note, this is what happened in tennis the last week and a half or so since we last recorded with results. We'll just kind of scatter intersperse those that's a word intersperse yeah uh put those in to the draw analysis so for example Sakari's choke we won't talk about that with respect to rome but we'll talk about it with respect to her french open chances okay wow that's your bestie and it happened in a semi your, did. your favorite round well it's her favorite round <laughs> not mine yes. let's start with the women's draw this is a Sviantek and the Seven Dwarfs situation. And I don't say that to be demeaning. That's a famous line from a Sports Illustrated story about Steffi Graf back in the 90s. Mm -hmm. But when I thought about this Rolling Girls women's draw, what I thought was, name me a person who can beat Iga. Or, or conversely, name me a person that Iga can't beat. And there is none. Sure. But I feel like all her toughest opponents were put in her path <laughs> we take for granted that on the back of what a 28 match win streak winning 
five titles in a row that this is kind of inevitable. And maybe it will be. If she doesn't win Roland Garros, that doesn't negate the streak that she's been on. Like, these things are tough to win, Mm -hmm. right? Some of the people who've given her the most trouble over this stretch are in her half of the draw. In the third round, possibly against Samsonova, another fourth round at Roland Garros against Simona Halep, and there's Jessica Pagula, potentially in the quarterfinal. There's Paula Badosa, potentially in the semifinal. So if things go according to seeds and the draw, this will be another tough test for Ego. Yeah, the the third round having to play Samsonova, who gave her a really rough go of it in Stuttgart, one of the few players who's taken her to three sets over this streak. Samsonova opens against Danka Kovinic, who was actually the runner-up in Charleston on clay last year. So that's an intriguing first round match to me. Simona Halep, who Iga beat en route to her only French Open title two years ago, and beat her pretty convincingly. Mm-hmm. And now you have Simona Halep, who is squarely in the Maratoglu camp, a camp that has been making the most audio and visual noise about this partnership <laughs> over the last few weeks. And for Simona, and especially Patrick, it's time to put up. You know, like, there's only so much of that noise I'm going mm-hmm. to tolerate some or results. withstand, <laughs> absorb. I want to see the result now. And as was... As was the case with Serena, with Patrick being her coach. Like, this is what you sign up for. We were on his neck the entire time that he was her coach. And that's not changing. It's probably going to be even worse for him with us now. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Ostapenko is uh, potentially Simona's third-round opponent. And although she's a former champion here, I think Ostapenko has actually grown into a better grass court player than she is a clay court player. That's not to say that she can't get some big wins here. Right, but she hasn't really been winning much lately right. either. Right. You mentioned Pagula. So Pagula has this section to herself as the, the 11 seed. She's in there with Pliskova, which is kind of a gift because Karolina has been having trouble getting things going. Well, there's also Alexandrova and then there's Zidanecek as well. Last year's semifinalist. Yes, uh, and... Kalanina, who has reached the quarterfinals in Madrid and Charleston, has had some big, important wins. Zidanecek is starting off against Claire Liu, who is a runner-up today in Rabat to Martina Trevisan. So you're saying that's potentially an upset there? Just an intriguing first round there. But, you know, there are some dangerous floaters in this area. The problem is that they will probably eventually run into Iga Sviantek in the quarterfinals. Whoever gets through there. (laughs) You're really pushing this eager inevitability. Not inevitability, but I think it would be silly to go through the draw and say she's not a heavy, heavy favorite. Mm-hmm. And I I want to say, like, it's been a long time on the WTA that there has been such a clear expected favorite for a Grand Slam, probably since the Serena days. You can see other people winning, of course, including former champions, but her momentum right now it's something we haven't seen in quite a while. Ego mm-hmm. was the favorite at the quarterfinal stage last year as well, and Sakari took care of her fairly easily. Right. Remember that. Right. So. There will be a ton of pressure 
on her going into this, 28 matches, is a long streak. If she wins, it'll be a 35-match win streak. This is, you know, entering historic territory at that point. This is what Iga's going to have to contend with. It's not just a field. It's the history. It's the context of the pressure. This is a new situation for her. She's been talking about how she's been having all these new experiences and meeting the moment, and that only gives her more confidence. Well, here's a big one. Mm -hmm. So for me, I expect her quarterfinal opponent to be Jessica Pagula. She was the runner-up in Madrid, and she's got these quality wins this season over Jill Teichman, Sara Cerebos-Tormo, Samsonova, so a few really strong clay players over the past few weeks. Mm -hmm. That is the first quarter of the draw. In the second quarter, that's headlined by number three seed Paula Badosa, and then at the very bottom of that section, Irina Sabalenka. I feel as though Ms. Badosa comes in a little bit unheralded almost, without too many eyes on her, which is a perfect position for her to be in. Had she had some more loud results this clay season, you could easily see her being a big challenge to Sviantek. But I still think she is. And uh, even though she hasn't had the big results recently, she's still only lost to players of note. So in mm -hmm. the round of 16 in Rome, she loses to Kazatkina, who was resurgent. In Madrid, she loses to Halep rather easily, 6-3, 6-1. In Stuttgart, she loses to Sabalenko. And then in Charleston, she loses to Bencic. So, like, those are all top 10 or thereabouts players. You know, people who have the pedigree. Right. Last year, she won Belgrade on clay. She reached later stages in lead-up tournaments. But this year, the expectations are just a lot higher from her. So, a semifinal in Stuttgart is great. But she's still losing points compared to last year. Um, but like you said, I think having less expectation is probably not a bad thing. And Sabalenka is in, I mean, kind of a similar situation. Like, she's not playing badly, but she happened to face Amanda Anisimova three times during this clay season. Before last week in Rome, she had never beaten Amanda. She was 4-0. So Amanda took two of those. Arena took the most recent one in Rome. And she also lost to Sviantek in two other tournaments. Right. So Sabalenka loses to Anisimova in Charleston in the round of 16. In Stuttgart, she makes it to the final, losing to Sviantek in straight sets. Madrid, she loses to Anisimova again in the first round in three sets. In Rome, she makes the semis before losing to Sviantek. So uh, it's a curious case for Sabalenka because... If you recall the trajectory of her season, it's it's been a bewilderment, a befuddlement, just a mystery with her service game. Like a uh, yes. complete mess for large stretches of it. She seems to have gotten that more under control. But through it all, through all the mess, she was still winning matches. Right. Unconvincingly, but getting through them. And there is merit. Yeah. I mean, there's stuff to be admired in that. You know? Yes. I mean, she matched her result at Stuttgart last year, right? She was the runner-up to Barty last year, the runner-up this year to Iga. 
gets to the semifinals in Rome. Remember that she's only ever reached the third round at Roland Garros. So what are the expectations? It would be easy for her to exceed those expectations, right? Her road goes through potentially Camilla Georgi in the third round before Danielle Collins in the fourth in the fourth round before in the quarterfinal either Badosa or Rybakina or Kudermatova or Madison Keys. I feel like Madison Keys in that spot is a, a big <laughs> reach. Yeah, you know, let's let's work on round one first. Up in the top of this quarter. As you said, there's Bedosa. Kaya Yuvan could be her second round opponent. Not really somebody you want to face right now, having gone to three tiebreak sets with Angelique Kerber in the final of Strasbourg today. So she may, I mean, it may be too quick of a turnaround, right? This sometimes happens when you play a tournament a week before. But this is one of those scenarios where you look at a matchup on paper and you're like, well, this... I mean, it should be easy enough for you early in the tournament to get your feet wet, get some confidence. But as is the case with these qualifiers who win three matches, who are familiar with the conditions, when you play them early on, even though they don't have the the stature or the ranking anywhere in the vicinity of you as the number three seed, it's a much tougher ass than it would look on paper. And so Kaya Yuvan, who is an ascendant player coming off this big, big result, incredible final against Angelique Kerber in Strasbourg, she could be really tough for Badosa in the second round. Yeah, and the thing is, like, she opens against Fiona Farrow. I don't know what kind of form Fiona is in at the moment, to be honest, but she's reached the fourth round here. She has two career titles on clay. Again, not a great draw. (laughs) Not a good floater. I don't even need to ask you who you think is going to come through this top half because clearly you think it's Iga Schwantek. <laughs> yes, it. I don't know. You know, I did my bracket challenge today and I actually... Don't give stuff away. Oh, okay. Well, I won't tell you who I picked to be in the semifinal to face Iga, but it's not Bedosa and it's not Sabalenka. Okay. So I'll, I'll leave it there. I think that with all of the, the dominating that she's done, she's left very few scraps for everyone else. The rest of the draw is kind of like a huge opportunity for people. In the bottom half of the draw, that's where your number six seed Anjabur is, where the number four Maria Sakari, number five Annette Kantavate, and the number two Barbara Kurchikova reside. At the very top of that, Ons, the, the first big seed that she would face is in the third round in number 32 Petra Kvitova. And I know it's tempting to just, you know, say, well, Petra doesn't really stand the chance. Given recent form, given it's the French Open, but she's had better results at the French Open than she has at the U.S. Open. She's mm-hmm. a two-time semifinalist in Paris, as recently as 2020. So it's, it's foolhardy to think that Petra can't catch fire still at any <laughs> given day, no matter how perplexing her results have been lately. Sure, sure. Now, her first test for for Ons is really in the second round because Martina Trevisan just won the title in Morocco today. And she is a former quarterfinalist here in, I think, 2020 in in the COVID French Open. Like you said, she could get Petra in the third round. In the fourth round, you have a possible resurgent Angelique Kerber, who just won in Strasbourg, or Emma Raducanu. Mm-hmm. Who, who has shown 
ability on clay this this season. Yes, and we'll be playing in her first French Open main draw. Stick a pin here, and let's talk about Ms. Angelique. Because, wow, what a win today. (laughs) This is actually her fourth career title on clay. But as you pointed out to me, it is her first on red clay. Mm -hmm. She's won at Stuttgart twice, and she won at Charleston. Which is green clay. And we know that... Kerber needs the French Open to complete the career Grand Slam. Don't laugh. What are we talking about here? Don't laugh. Let's not get ahead of ourselves. Look, she won Bad Omberg last year ahead of Wimbledon and made it to the semifinals. So, like, this is is good for her at this tournament. Okay. The draw certainly could be worse as well. Jabour is in fine form, obviously, but... We've never gone into a major expecting her to reach, I mean, she's probably expected to reach the semis or the final, really, based on form. Kerber is a two-time quarterfinalist at the French Open in 2012 and 2018. If we were to get that third round between Kerber and Raducanu, I think that'd be lots of fun to watch. Yes. In the second part of this third quarter, you get some really exciting stuff going on. So first of all, Belinda Bencic, the 14 seed, could face Bianca Andreescu in the second round. And if that comes to pass, I am picking Bianca because she is a fighter. I really believe that although she may not be back back as we saw her in 2019, she is going to fight and scrap for everything. I think you're just looking for an early loss here. For Well, it's like two birds, one stone here. (laughs) The winner of that potential second round gets maybe... Lila Fernandez in the third round. And then the winner of that gets Maria Sakari or Anisimova or, or Naomi Osaka. <laughs> Osaka has to open against Anisimova in the first round. Like that is the big wow first round match. Yeah. Amanda has had a really good clay season. She's beat Sabalenka twice. She has faced Naomi Osaka one time, and that was in Australia this year where she beat her. And. Uh, I mean, is anyone picking Naomi for this? I feel like all I've seen on Twitter is like, oh, <laughs> that's well, all she wrote. What did you pick? Well, I picked Amanda. Oh. I just think on paper and gut feeling is that Amanda is is going to win this match. Right. But if everybody in the bracket challenge picks the more intelligent, you know, safe pick then everybody's going to have the same points. you got to pick some upsets. You're going to have to have somebody like Naomi winning three or four matches to really set you apart. Okay, but what if that doesn't happen? Then you've screwed yourself. Sure. I'm not a better, so I don't, you know, I just pick who I want. I'm just saying, you've entered into this realm now. So, like, what, what's, your, what's your aim? Middle of the pack? 45th? <laughs> that would be a victory to me. I just don't want to be last. The thing is, Amanda has... Wins on clay over Sabalenka, Martich, Azarenka, Collins, and Benchich. Just this season. Mm-hmm. Right? So I think she has the potential to actually go really far in this tournament. And if Bianca gets past Belinda, she has a chance to face Amanda for a spot in the quarterfinals. Also, don't forget that this was the site of Amanda's big breakthrough. Making the semifinals in 2019. Mm-hmm. That year that... Uh, Ash won, right? Yes. Now, I don't want to overlook Maria Sakkari here because 
She was a semifinalist last year, and that was kind of a dogfight against Krejcikova last year to get to the final. Right, but you are a little bit down on her chances because of the Rome I am, result. but I think I'm being unfair. What happened in that Rome semifinal? She was, what, up a set and 5-2 and 30-love? Yes. And lost the match? Against Ans Jabor. That is, that is rough. Now, moving to the fourth quarter, this is a mystery. Now, this could be a real opportunity for somebody. Krejcikova is the number two seed, the defending champion. This is her quarter, but we have no idea what kind of form she's in. She hasn't played since, what, February? The end of February in Doha. She shows up with a new kit sponsor. Oh, She's my. with Fila. Are we going to talk about this now? This is the woman who was famous for wearing the same exact kit for an entire season. That's a season in which she joined the top 10, then the top five, won a major. I said that perhaps one of the reasons why a lot of folks haven't taken to her is because there's a built-in mistrust of somebody who wears the same kit every time like that. (laughs) Pure speculation. So she misses the entire Sunshine Double. She misses all of the clay events leading up to Roland Garros. And I'm like, where is Barbara? Where is Babs? Are we going to have both finalists from last year missing the tournament? Because Anastasia Pavlyuchenkova told us just a few days ago that due to injury that she was trying to play through, she's going to be missing the rest of the season. And then we're like, well, where's Babs? And there she was. Babs, she was spotted in the wild for the first time in months, practicing at Roland Garros. And then she came to the draw ceremony as the defending champion. She opens against Diane Perry. And let me tell you, I'm going to need... Miss Krejcikova to do the business up until at least the third round because Sorana Kirstea needs to be vanquished. <laughs> and if it gets to it because Sloane Stevens wasn't able to do it, then Barbara has to. Yes. Now let's not get ahead of ourselves. Barbara is such an enigma that I feel like she could reach the final on this side of the draw. She could lose early. She's always an enigma, but now even more so because she hasn't played because of injury. She could play Camila Osorio in the second round, which is mm. rough. Yes. But Kirstea opens against Tatiana Maria, who just won a title in Bogota. So you're saying that Osorio is a big dark horse in the section? Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Because there's also um, Victoria Azarenka in this final section, but she hasn't really shown the ability recently to win a bunch of matches in a row. Mm-hmm. Like, she'll have... A really good win, followed by a really perplexing loss. And Vika has also been kind of displaying some confounding behavior on court, I would say. Like, I do worry if there's something going on with her personally, because she's just been acting out in, in strange ways right, lately. And I'm trying, really trying to approach this with empathy. I'm not, like, making fun. But she got really, really mad at a spectator in Rome and turned around and screamed to close the fucking gates. And, you know, there was another incident where she just kind of walked off the court and retired without telling anybody. So I do kind of wonder if everything's okay in the Azarenka camp. Her third round opponent could be Jill Teichman, which is somebody nobody wants to see, right? That's the other dark horse. Yeah. <laughs> She's just reached the semifinals in Madrid, quarters in Rome. She beat Rabakina twice. But she did recently have to retire to Kazatkina, so I don't know if that was preventative or if she is actually injured. This quarter is where all the dark horses are, pretty much. 
because there's Kaya Kanepi. Of course, she draws a seed in the first <laughs> round. And who is the unlucky one? And poor thing. The one who least needs to see Kaya Kanepi in a first round, Garbinia Muguruza. Because Miss Garbinia is struggling. Also, there's Marie Boskova in that quarter. She opens against Lauren Davis, potentially Elisa Mertens in the second round, and then Annette Contivate in the third round. Mm-hmm. But let's not overlook, like, if Muguruza somehow gets past Kanepi, Beatrice Haddad Maya could be waiting for her in the second round, who just reached two WTA 125 finals, winning one of them. So she's kind of on fire, and Garbinia is not. And lo and behold, haven't heard much from her in a while, but there too is Karolina Muhova. Yeah, injury like destroyed her season last year. Potentially in a second round against Maria Sakkari. So there, there, this is a minefield for a lot of top players this quarter. Uh, that, that's in the third quarter, but point taken. You are, you are correct. But between Contivate, Mertens... Mertens is the third the third round queen. If she's going to do something, she's going to reach the third round. But could it be Ruse who gets through there? Coco Goff, just graduated from high school, played well on clay last year, is due for a good result. I mean, she's defending quarterfinal points at this tournament, Coco mm-hmm. Goff. And this is a pretty good draw for her, to be frank. Opening against it is. Rebecca Marino, maybe Ann Lee or, or Van Oetvank in the second round. Then uh, Clueless Muguruza in the third round, uh, Contivate in the fourth round. Like, this is doable. And then Uncertainty with Vika and Krejcikova in that last section to then get to the quarterfinals too. Mm-hmm. So this is, I think, as good as a draw that Coco could have hoped for. And she can also run circles around all these players on a tennis court. Because she is, what, 18 years old. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not going to ask you to pick a champion here. If y'all are curious as to what we may think, I think you can spy on people's picks in that racket bracket thing, right? Oh, you can? I think so. I have no idea. But what did you sign up as your username? James. Just James? Oh, I yeah. think I put your, tennis under, underscore Yeah, your John. Twitter handle. Yeah, so I think you can figure out who we are. Uh, the one thing I will say is that don't hold me to those picks as to what I want Oh yes, yes. Because We're a lot to of win it here. A lot <laughs> of it is not just winning but anti-jinxing. Yeah, I did uh I a, did a lot of anti-jinxing. Especially in the men's draw. Yeah. Cuz so, I have as you may be able to tell, I have some stronger feelings about the men's draw this year. Mm-hmm. About preferred outcomes. So, in contrast to the women's clay season, the men have really spread the wealth. There have been a lot of different titleists. Rafa Nadal did not win a title. And so there are a lot of guys coming in with a ton of confidence. Okay, James. Rafa only played two tournaments. We didn't even know if he was going to play any, even the French Open, just a couple weeks ago. Okay. So let's let's put that okay, caveat there. As far as champions, we have Baez, Opelka, Tsitsipas, Alcaraz, Rublev, Djokovic, Rude, Nori. Like, there are a lot of different clay winners this season. And at big tournaments. Yes. So it's different. It is different. I'm just saying, <laughs> explain further why it's different. Because I think ninety percent of those men will not be winning no. or stand a chance of winning Roland Garros. No, and I mean some of them may not win a round or two. 
just saying the complexion of the clay season is really different this year because a, a number of players have sort of been allowed to to gain confidence. The very first quarter is where if you are a fan of Rafael Nadal, of Novak Djokovic, of Carlos Alcaraz, that is the quarter where you did not want your fave to land, and that's where they all landed. Yeah. Nadal, the fifth seed, potentially against number one Djokovic in the quarterfinals, and the winner of that, possibly Carlos Alcaraz. I still think a big caveat and asterisk here because he's never done this before. This is a whole mm-hmm. different stage for him to be winning big. Right. And to be fair, you know, it seems like he and his team are are doing the right things as far as planning. He pulled out of Rome. He's shown just like an incredible fighting spirit and has overcome some injuries, you know, like all those typical building blocks, like those rites of passage he's been going through this these past few weeks. Right, but then you get a second round or a third round match where you play five hours and five sets. Does that derail the rest of your tournament? Right, right. As a 19-year-old, having never done this before. And you can say, like, it's great to be 19, it's much easier to recover at your age, but also, have you built up the stamina to play back-to-back five-set matches? So starting at the top here, Novak is the defending champion, he's the number one seed, has, you know, he'll possibly face Brooksby in, in the third round, could face Grigor Dimitrov or Diego Schwartzman in the, in the fourth round. There's not like a whole lot of interesting stuff going on here. I would say that Dimitrov Giron has the potential to be exciting. Alex Molkan was the runner-up this week in Lyon. He could face Novak in the second round. Mm-hmm. Grigor has been having some cute results. He has. I, I've been telling you this. I have been telling you this too. <laughs> We've been telling this to each other. We see each other. And so while I don't think anybody expects Grigor Dimitrov to win this tournament, it is absolutely possible for him to wreak havoc on what is expected from this quarter. Yes. I do think that he will beat Diego if they both reach the third round because he he beat Diego bad at Madrid. Mm-hmm. Like bad. Yeah. I. That said, Grigor is not really the five-set horse you want to bet on at this stage no, in his career. he is reliable to lose to big three members. Definitely. No, but I'm saying even if he gets to a long, drawn-out battle mm. with Diego... Oh, that's too bad. Yeah. Yes. Mm-hmm. It's very bad <laughs> for him. All that said, it appears that Novak is in good shape to fulfill his end of the bargain and get to those quarterfinals potentially against Rafa. See, this is why I hate doing draw previews, because everything is potentially, yes. maybe, likely, if this, if that. And it's just too much prognosticating, too much <laughs> mystery, too much potential for looking like a buffoon. Yes. Okay, so you have to uh, give your insights here to, to make it worthwhile, you know? Yeah, I just don't think that our insights on this stuff is... <laughs> Like, there are all these men on Twitter with stats. Uh, yeah. There's no shortage and, of them. Man, there is there is no outdoing them, and we're not going to try. It's like, interesting stat. For the first time since October 15th, 1912, <laughs> there was a match interrupted by a mosquito, and that hasn't happened in 109 years. Unbelievable. <laughs> Stop. Okay. 
Rafa Nadal is the question mark at this tournament. We don't know what kind of shape his foot is in. It was an absolute mess in Rome. He lost to Janis Shapovalov, looked to be in a lot of pain. And it's a very unpredictable injury, as we know. What you- What is the condition that he's dealing with? Because I feel like there's a lot of, even though we should know this by now, we being the collective tennis community, there's a lot of misunderstanding about Rafa's condition. Yeah, the stands know this stuff really well. I don't know how they know it, but he has something called Mueller-Weiss syndrome, which is a rare condition that causes chronic midfoot pain. It's usually spontaneous adult-onset osteonecrosis of the navicular bone. And osteonecrosis is exactly what it sounds like. It is the death of bone tissue. And it's usually caused by like a lack of blood to that area. And over a long time, sometimes the bone itself can collapse due to this necrosis. It's still not a very well understood condition. It's very often misdiagnosed and therefore treated incorrectly. And where Rafa is at the moment is that this is chronic. There isn't uh, a very good, for most patients with this, there's not a very clear surgical intervention. Like there are surgeries, but there's not a standard that doctors go to every time. And he has basically said like, this is something that I live with and that I will always live with. This bone is essentially like it will degenerate over time and it causes pain and it flares up. This is something he's dealt with his entire career. I looked at that Rome final and I was like, well, there goes Roland Garros. Mm -hmm. And then Rafa went and consulted with his doctor who's been treating him with this for years, consulted with his team. And then it was like, yeah, we're on our way to Roland Garros. And then the entirety of the lead up to this tournament has been a lot of optimism from him and his camp. And then that's followed by him running around like a five-year-old chasing a soccer ball on the practice courts. Mm Mm-hmm. Like, moving here, rushing to the net there, looking nimble, light-footed. And so I can see why people are confused about this thing, right? And this is not to cause and put aspersions on Rafa and his team. It's just something that people don't understand. And the way Rafa explains it is that, yeah, it was terrible in Rome, but it's also been terrible in practice many times. And then the next day or a couple days after, it's much more tolerable. Right. And so it's possible that Rafa will find his footing but oh, oh, at no. this tournament and maybe sail through it like 2020. Right. I- but it's also possible that he could look good in a couple matches and then have it flare up again in the third or fourth round. You know, like you just don't know from day to day with him and this ailment that he has to live with on a daily basis Mm -hmm. i mean it's very confusing for me too because the stands will be like rest doesn't help but he missed like half of the 2021 season because of the foot that so i was like well it seems that rest helped because he came back and won australia but apparently it doesn't like that's that's not the treatment it doesn't mean that he hasn't tried rest Mm -hmm. as a remedy before (laughs) i think he's gotten to a point where he understands the entirety of what he's dealing with, what could work, what won't work in absolute terms. Yeah. And after he lost in Rome, I mean, it was sounding rough. 
what he was saying was a little bit depressing for a fan. He said, I imagine there will come a time when my head will say enough. Pain takes away your happiness, not only in tennis, but in life. And my problem is that many days I live with too much pain. And so, you know, you hope that these players are able to retire and not live in pain for the rest of their lives. I mean, look at Boris Becker, right? The the havoc that tennis wrought on his body is crazy. And he's not an old man. Okay, so that was a, a diversion from yes. the draw. The point is, this is the quarter that everybody is looking at because you have the two most recent champs. You have GOAT candidates. You have Djokovic could tie again for 21 major titles with Rafa. Nadal opens against Jordan Thompson. Second round, maybe Stan Wawrinka. That sucks (laughs) for us as fans. It sucks for Stan. I don't think it will suck so much for Rafa if he's healthy enough in that match yeah so if the foot is okay like stan is not the player he once was but i did have him as a dark horse candidate until i saw the draw Mm. see this is where we could get ourselves in trouble and folks will well rafa fans will leave this podcast for good if stan (laughs) beats him because this is the type of stuff that happens we say this type of shit and then it happens in real life and we are the reasons to blame right botic in round three. Or Fabio Fognini, who is another one. Yeah, another one. <laughs> that guy. And then mm, Felix or Opelka in round four. I guess credit to that tall man that it's no longer unrealistic that he could make the fourth round of a French Open. Oh, Opelka? Yeah, you're right. So as it stands by seed, the round of 16 in this section would be Djokovic, Schwartzman, and then Felix against Rafa. In the second quarter of the men's draw, that's where that guy, the number three seed, is infesting the draw. Oh, oh wow. <laughs> he could face Sebastian Baez in the second round. Baez won the title in Estoril. He was the runner-up in Santiago. And I did not know this, but he won six challengers on clay last year. Which is why he's top 50 and a lot of people don't know about him. The big, big, big men's dark horse. The one that everybody's talking about. Mr. Davidovich Fokina. The one who has had good clay results last year, this year. And who has become one of the breakout objects of tennis Twitter's thirst. This is where he is. And a potential third round opponent for that guy. And dare I say, a match that... I would salivate and froth about Ew. that guy losing. Okay, don't ever say froth again. Thank <laughs> you. Unless you're talking about m- milk or something. We're talking about rabid people here. Okay. Davidovich, for me, was a dark horse last year. I think he's a dark horse this year. His, you know, if he can get past that guy in the third round, which I believe he will. Oh, He's got, like, a clear shot to face Alcaraz in the quarterfinals. Because in that next section, you've got... Who? Like, you've got John Isner. The MAGA tree. You've got number 13, Taylor Fritz. But his form is questionable at the moment. Like, he's been dealing with injuries. I have no idea who makes it through that little section. Michael Moe. Right? Is it somebody who's unheralded? Like, Zapata Miralles? Uh, I have no idea. Hmm. And then moving a little bit further down, Cam Nori. I mean, 
say what you want about the aesthetics of this man's game and i have on the show mm-hmm. before the he's the followed stiffest it up. the backhand in history he has followed it up with result upon result upon result like that indian wells win in 2021 those points were supposed to fall off and just derail his ranking and that has not happened here he sits still as the number 10 seed right just he just won a title today in Lyon on clay right he's not he's diversifying his portfolio Let's talk about Dominic Team versus Ugo Delian in the first round. Not not easy. No, for it's Dominic. it's really not. We've talked about this on the previous episode, but Dominic hasn't won a match in a long time. He's having a lot of trouble coming back from this injury and having this kind of reworked forehand. Ugo, I mean, it could be worse, right? Ugo has only ever reached the second round here. Will Dominic sort of crack the code here? Uh, we hope so, but who knows? If Dominic gets through that first match, what does he have in the second round? Number 21, Karen Hachanov. And then Cam Nori in the third round. And then Carlos Alcaraz in the fourth round. Yeah, I mean, to be honest, like, Carlos is the story in the second quarter. Right. Everybody's already slotted him into the quarterfinal spot. But for Dominic, the expectations are low. Right. I I mean, for Dominic, like, a match win, winning Mm -hmm. the first round would be a big deal. Carlos would play maybe uh, Kokinakis in the second round, Sebastian Quarter in the third round, maybe Cam Nori in the fourth round. Before that guy, or Davidovich Fokina, or one of the American trees in the quarterfinal. And then, should he get through all that, that's where... Maybe Djokovic, maybe Nadal in the semifinal. Mm-hmm. All right. So this bottom half, uh, it doesn't exactly have the star power of the top half, now does it? Stefano Tsitsipas is the player who is expected to reach the final from this group. He was the Monte Carlo champion. He was the runner-up last year. Very close to winning. Two sets to love up on Djokovic before losing in five. This is the half of the draw, I should say of the draws, there are four halves across the men and the woman. Mm-hmm. This is the half where I think the most first round intrigue exists. Okay. You've got Joe Wilfred Songa in his very last event mm-hmm. opening against Kasparud. That is unfortunate. It is. Yeah. You know, Kasper loves the clay. He's Finally kind of geared up. He won the title in Geneva this week. You've got <laughs> Denis Shapovalov against Holgarun in the first round. Yeah, now this is this is my upset watch here. Because yes, Denis beat Rafa in Rome, but he beat an injured Rafa, and his results on clay otherwise have really not been that impressive. Mm-hmm. He's also somebody susceptible to stunts reacting negatively to a stunter and having that affect his play yes and i'm not saying that Holgerun is a stunt queen but you're not not i'm not not saying it the thing is as we said last week uh dennis has trouble controlling his emotions and i think that's the nicest way to put it on the other hand rune just won munich he reached the semifinals 
of Lyon, losing to Nori this week. He also won the San Remo Challenger on clay before the the big clay swing took off this year. Like, I don't know. I, f- I feel like Dennis is in danger. Alex Diminar opens against Hugo Gaston. Home crowd favorite, diminutive lefty. He had his big breakout there, I think, a couple of years ago. This is this is right up his alley, right? Mm-hmm. Two of the quickest players on tour here in this match. And then Dan Evans against Francisco Cerundolo. Iffy for the xenophobic king. <laughs> and then there's Stefano Tsitsipas opening against Lorenzo Muzzetti. Yeah, that's an unfortunate opener for Stefanos, for the defending runner-up. But that said, he's not in the half with Djokovic, Alcaraz, and Nadal. So this is this is good for him, regardless of who he faced, right? If Kaspar Ruud in the quarterfinals is your toughest and worst bet, then you're doing well. Mm-hmm. There's also Christian Garin versus Tommy Paul. Tommy Paul is actually the 30 seed, but Garin is only a few ranking spots away from him, actually. If we're going by, like, clay pedigree, then Garin mm. really has an advantage there. This is in the last quarter of the draw. Oh, sorry, I skipped yeah. ahead. No, mm. I think we're done with the other part, I think. And then Daniil Medvedev, back on tour last week, losing his first match to Gasquet in straight sets in Geneva. That was his first match since playing in Miami. We didn't even know he was going to be playing at the French Open, playing any clay tournaments. And he just announced a couple weeks ago, like, hey, I'm popping back up in Geneva. Here I am. (laughs) And he's back. Like, this is a dude who, prior to last year, lost in the first round four straight years. Last year was the first time he'd won a match at the French Open, making it to the quarterfinals. And he comes in this year with virtually no match practice on clay. That said, he has a decent draw. Well, I don't... Well... Yes, I know. I know you're high on Ketsmanovic. Ketsmanovic is another one of my dark horses, right? Like, uh, he made the quarters in both Indian Wells and Miami. He's working with David Nalbandian. He made the semis in Munich, quarters in Belgrade. I feel like there's, like the number two seed on the women's side, Krejcikova, I don't know what to expect from Daniil. I think he could come in with very few expectations and just have fun and win some matches that he's not expected to win or he could just you know show a lack of preparation and a lack of fitness because he was out with the hernia surgery and lose early like i i really don't know he is kind of a troll right so like maybe he'll just show up and go far right i think bottom line is this half of the draw is primed for a big big breakout Somebody to make their first semifinal, somebody to make their first slam final. I don't think Tsitsipas is a lock to make the final mm. from this draw. He's probably the favorite, but I don't think it's anywhere close to being a lock. All right. Who are some of the underdogs in this in this entire half? I think you have to look at Francis Tiafo. Opening against Benjamin Bonzi. Uh, well, Debbie Goffa his second round, the second right? round. Like, that's such a tough, unseated player to face right now. Yes, David is playing well again. I'll give him that. Third round, Urkacz. Am I afraid of Urkacz on, on clay? Not necessarily. Mm, not really, no. Um, I'm Alex Diemenauer, of course, Andre Rublev, not an underdog, but still. Yannick Sinner, we haven't even mentioned. 
could face Rublev in the quarterfinals. Karenia Busta. I know his, his pedigree is more so on hard courts, but why not? Mm-hmm. I think that that fourth quarter is just like a huge question mark for me. Hmm. The opportunity is is right there for somebody like Yannick Sinner. Good luck to all of you filling out your draws in this section because this is where the bracket will be won, in my opinion. Mm. Mm. Before we leave the draw and move on to the other etc. pressing issues in tennis to finish the episode, shout out to Taylor Townsend, who is back at a Grand Slam. Taylor Townsend will play her opening match, her first at a slam since giving birth against Caroline Garcia. And should she win that, she may play Madison Keys in the second round. (laughs) Taylor has a chance here. She just won the ITF in Charleston, and Garcia has been injured. So I'm looking forward to that one. And she was just giving tennis lessons to Cardi B and Normani. Did you see that video? (laughs) Yes. A few other things about Roland Garros that I want to talk about. I noticed uh, from Eurosport that tournament director Amelie Moresmo announced that they were going to make some changes to the post-match media process. Mm. One of those things is introducing a mixed zone for players who don't... uh, how do I say this politely, garner the media interest for a large press conference room. So it is sort of, it kind of relieves the pressure on players for so there won't be like them and two reporters in this giant room. And also maybe relieving the backlog of a player wanting to get into press right away and mm-hmm. then having somebody kicked out of another press conference <laughs> Stop. and then creating fewer... En masse. Yeah. I don't know how journalists feel about the mixed zones, but it's happening, at least as an experiment. And the other thing is they will be introducing moderators to the press room. What an idea. Right. But are these people skilled and capable? <laughs> because right. Wimbledon has moderators. Yeah. But Wimbledon, like, asks some rando member of the All England Club, hey, do you want to be a moderator? It'll be fun. These actually need to be like skilled media professionals to be moderators. And Amelie said, the idea is not to censor the press, but it's just to show a little common sense. And these are changes that are happening in the wake of the Naomi Osaka fiasco, right? Yeah. So giving credit where it's due, these are changes uh, based on the leadership of Amelie Moresmo but also in the wake of just horrible, distracting press coverage last year and just a a plainly very shitty reaction from the Grand Slam board about Naomi Osaka's decision not to do the mandatory press conferences. One final bit of French Open business. Neither member of Gems Life, be it Gael Mofis or Elena Svidalina, will be at Roland Garros this year. Gael is injured, and Svidalina is pregnant. Yes, Gems Life is pregnant. They are due in October, and we're going to get a Gems baby. So you have from now until October to figure out the perfect name for a Gems baby. Ruby? That goes with the last name Mofis. Ruby Mofis? Ru- <laughs> Diamond Mofis? It could be in French, too. 
Mm-hmm. Or it could be in your uh, Ukrainian. Dimon. That's not French for diamond. I am 100% no, sure. It's definitely not. Naomi Osaka is leaving IMG to form her own agency with her agent, Stu. I don't know how to pronounce his last name, so I'm going to leave it there. You can look it up. According to Sportico, her contract with IMG expired at the end of 2021. They were going through negotiations to re-up, and apparently the uh, they couldn't come to terms based on Naomi looking for more flexibility in the type of partnerships that she could pursue and the type of endorsements. So she's moved more outside of the realm of like traditional endorsements and has been moving toward equity partnerships. So she's, you know, she's invested in companies. She's gained equity in some companies that she endorses. Uh, She has board seats in certain companies. And that seems to be what she'd like to do going forward. Have a little bit more autonomy and a little bit of actual ownership. Mogulship. Yeah, yeah. Basically, she's the highest paid female athlete in the world. She's one of the highest paid athletes, period, in the world. And this has the potential to make her stinking rich. Even more so than she is. And what that means is, being the boss and having her own agency you will now see her agency signing athletes, not just in tennis, but from other sports as well. Stewart did say that he isn't really that interested in taking on a whole host of clients. Like the focus is Naomi, but he will consider taking on several others. What's next on the agenda? Laura Robson has retired at age 28. She hasn't played for a while, so the retirement is is not surprising, but it is really unfortunate. We've most recently seen her in the commentary booth. Yeah, but, you know, about 10 years ago, she had her huge breakthrough. She reached the round of 16 at both the U.S. Open and Wimbledon. She's a former Wimbledon girls champ. She won the silver medal in mixed doubles with Andy Murray at the Olympics. She famously sent Kim Clijsters into one of her prior retirements, (laughs) beating her at, what, the U.S. Open? At the U.S. Open, yeah. She was just a very charismatic young player. She was the 2012 WTA Newcomer of the Year, and she was expected to do big things. Unfortunately, you know, she had a wrist surgery earlier in her career. She's gone through three hip surgeries and has never been able to, to rehab and get back on tour regularly, not for lack of effort. I'm sure we'll be seeing lots of her in the commentary booth based on the responses that I saw from folks to her initial foray into that arena. Mm -hmm. We will definitely remember her for her rainbow hair tie, which she wore for a match at Margaret Court Arena when nobody was doing stuff like that. And to be honest, she's still one of the only players to make a statement like that at the Australian Open. It's a, It was a very simple, seemingly small thing, but it, I mean, it was a huge gesture. And we're still talking about it. Do we finally get on to the Wimbledon mess? Yeah, you know what? I don't, I'm so confused. Like, I don't even know what side we're supposed to be on and who we're supposed to be mad at at this point. There's so much back and forth. What's happened most recently is that first we had the ATP say, listen, definitely, we will not be awarding points for anybody at Wimbledon. This was speculated on for a while. Mm -hmm. Because Wimbledon said, we are not allowing 
any Russian players or any Belarusian players to compete at these championships because of the ongoing Russian invasion and war against Ukraine. Now, the tours both came out and said, like, listen, buddy, this is not cool. And so we were saying, well, what what is the recourse that they have? This is what they've settled on. And one of the things you, you just said that you don't really know where to land on this issue. But one of the things that I think we can say with certainty is that this issue highlights yet again just how fractured the leadership is in tennis, just how many different interests there are in tennis, and that it was important for the tours to let Wimbledon know that they can't just act unilaterally against their players without consequence. Mm -hmm. And, okay, so last time we talked about this, somebody took issue with the use of the word unilaterally. And because I'm extremely petty, I would like to address that now. Okay. Uh, The definition of unilaterally, if you'd like to hear it, is involving, done by, or decided by only one person, side, party, or faction. Now, they said a lot of other sports have done this. Um, But as you pointed out to me, this is a tennis podcast. We are a tennis podcast, so we were obviously talking about the tennis world. And did Wimbledon act in consultation with the various organizations, the other Grand Slams, the ITF, the Players Associations? No, they did not. They acted unilaterally. Mm-hmm. That's one side. That's Latin, y'all. Do you feel better? I do. Okay. Because that pissed me off. It shouldn't have, but... <laughs> All right. <laughs> anyway... Uh, so we talked about the, or, or you talked about just the lack of cohesion, the lack of cooperation among tennis. The, you know, there is this kind of group of seven that I think they're called, what, T7 or something? The T7 working group. That's what they're called. The four slams, the ITF, ATP, and WTA. They did not collaborate on this. Wimbledon went ahead and made a decision based on UK government guidance, but not a mandate, and we'll get to that in a moment. And then the announcements yesterday, I think, showed some further dysfunction. So the ATP made the announcement first, but Steve Simon had already mentioned this in a press conference about five days prior that the WTA was probably going to do the same thing. But the announcements were not coordinated. ATP goes first, then the ITF makes an announcement, And then the WTA makes an announcement. Because Steve spoke about it and then he was like, well, this is dependent on what? Approval from Board of Governors or something like that. And so when the ATP releases this, we're like, well, even you, you were saying to me, like, didn't the WTA already do that? And I'm like, no, they hadn't. They said they were leaning toward that, but they hadn't gotten official word. And then so everything started to happen all at once. And then you're left wondering why couldn't they all have just done this behind closed doors and issue one One statement. joint statement. Because you know? the ATP does it, then the WTA follows, and the ITF says, well, hey, no points for juniors, no points for wheelchair, no points for this, no points for that. And then it's like, okay, y'all, like, we keep hearing about Tennis United. Can we right. have some unity on some of the important issues? Yeah. So that we Especially don't... when your decision is the same. Right. Right. So, so we don't have to hear or see the chirping from Opelka on Twitter about it. Oh, my God. Yeah. So when we look back, you know, we may forget 
the the sequence, like the cascading of the announcements. But in the moment, it feels sloppy. It feels dysfunctional. And I ask over and over again, why does it feel like these organizations are competing with each other rather than acting in concert with each other, especially on an issue like this where their interests seem to align? Right, but they are at the core of it still competing for resources. Yes. Make no mistake about it. In the ATP statement, they said, quote, the ability for players to enter tournaments based on merit and without discrimination is fundamental to our tour. The decision by Wimbledon to ban Russian and Belarusian players from competing in the UK this summer undermines the principle and the integrity of the ATP ranking system. Later, in the same statement, they said, our rules and agreements exist in order to protect the rights of players as a whole. So this is this is the key here, is that the ATP is meant in some way to represent the interests of the players alongside their ATP tournaments. When faced with something like this from Wimbledon with no consultation, the associations have to act in some way. They they represent the players, at least nominally, right? And so I think they had very little recourse here, and it was kind of a delicate dance. Do you, I mean... Do you attempt to organize a boycott of arguably the most important event in the Grand Slam calendar? Do you remove ranking points? And I think they probably saw that this was their most reasonable recourse. And one of the few within their grasp, to be honest. It shows so clearly that these slams are way too big. They have way too much power and influence in the sport that this is the only recourse that the tours have. Right. Like you have these four events as your big banner events that you don't own or control, that you basically have zero control over. They're able to just run amok and do whatever they want. The French Open can just decide in the middle of COVID to be like, yeah, we're going to play here and the rest of y'all deal with it. The rest Mm -hmm. of the, the Grand Slams, the rest of the tour events, Say something. You know what you're going <laughs> to yeah, do. Yeah, exactly. And so <laughs> you might not agree with it that this is unfair. And there are many arguments to be made that it isn't fair. What other recourse do the tours have? It really paints a pretty sad picture of the state of affairs in tennis governance. Mm-hmm. And I think it will be an interesting test on... Like, just how powerful are the slams? Do the slams look at this and say, wow, maybe we should try to take even more power from the ATP and WTA? Like, we don't need you. We don't need your ranking system. At Wimbledon, they reserve the right to change the seeds, right? Like, the entries are based on ranking, based on their contract. But this action by the All England Club and the LTA shows that the ranking system is... Uh, essentially mutable it's changeable in in extreme circumstances like this so do the slams attempt to push even further the atp uh sent out this really helpful faq document as well which you should read if you're interested the atp pointed out that the government guidance that wimbledon alluded to was just that it was guidance it was not a mandate And they said that's part of the reason why they decided to act, because essentially Wimbledon made their own decision 
and they have to deal with the consequences. It was pretty firm, the way that the the uh, ATP's language was laid out. They even said, like, in the future, if it's a matter of a local governments making a call to ban players, that might be a different story, and that they would assess every situation separately. Ultimately, what we have is Wimbledon acting like a lawn unto itself. <laughs> As usual. Now, for both the ATP and WTA, the grass court events in the UK will go on, and they will be awarding ranking points only because there is competition, right? There are other options for Russian and Belarusian players during those weeks if they can't get into the UK, which they can't. Wimbledon responded by saying they are deeply disappointed. That's not all they said, but that was the gist of it. You ban Russian and Belarusian players because you don't want them to be used as propaganda, etc., blah, 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 blah. Now, because of these actions by the tours, nobody's going to be able to defend any points from Wimbledon. So Novak Djokovic just loses 2,000 points. What does that mean? Probably an inevitable number one in Daniil Medvedev after Wimbledon. <laughs> yeah, which is just kind of funny. I mean, you don't form policy based on individual players ascending to number one. Uh, I mean, I guess they form policy based on individual players based on their country of origin. <laughs> but that's just a, an ironic byproduct of the whole thing. Mm. And no, this was not an orchestrated political attempt to take the number one ranking from Novak Djokovic. <laughs> it just... I guarantee Ooh. you, I guarantee you, that was not the case. The establishment is always like five steps ahead, you know? Nadal, Nadal and Federer are plotting, scheming behind the scenes to make this happen. Amazing. Their power and their minds. <laughs> it's crazy. You're crazy, girl. <laughs> that covers all the tennis talk on this episode. I'm fully prepared for an almighty mess of a tournament. <laughs> like I think about where we were at the end of the Australian Open after we went through all that and then we got Nadal winning 21 and we got Ash Barty winning on home soil and it felt like wow what a moment what a relief what a triumph we can move forward and here we are again Ash is retired Rafa is potentially hobbled on his favorite mm -hmm. court Novak is back you have a new youngster who is potentially about to get his crowning moment. The first of 72 majors in his career. <laughs> you have the first major where Ans Jabour is very possibly going to reach a final. Mm -hmm. We know that there's going to be a Tunisian tennis event on the WTA this fall mm -hmm. because of her success and her influence. And then there's all the stuff that's coming that we don't know. That's what I talk about. By mess. If you follow Grand Slam tennis in the last, hell, for the duration of this podcast, for the last seven plus years, you know that it's going to be doing the most. Mm -hmm. Trust Wimbledon to attempt pull focus at least one more time during this tournament. Uh, please, God, no bathroom break controversies. I beg. Oh, that's that's going to happen. <laughs> When Shapovalov and Rune don't get scheduled on Chatrier, like, we're going to hear about it. Mm -hmm. 
Uh, we're gonna get an Ale up your fucking ass from Shapovalov, definitely. Oh no, it's gonna be Holger, the perpetually aggrieved, uh, who's gonna have something to we're say talking about, about it. Dennis, De- did you see him in Rome? Okay. Did you see him in you Australia? You must not know what's going on on the other side of that net. <laughs> <laughs> it's possible that none of these projections and predictions will come true. There could be no goats at the finish line. We have no idea. But buckle up. I want to finish this episode with a mini segment on Drag Race All-Stars 7. The winner's season. The Legends season. And the reason why is because we watched the first two episodes last night. And I've never felt more fulfilled or excited about a season of Drag Race in my lifetime. Really? All I felt toward Drag Race in the last few years is oversaturated. Mm. Of struggling, frankly my dear, to give a damn. (laughs) But I thoroughly enjoyed all... Two and a half hours of those two episodes last night. Yeah. The the first two episodes, they took about seven and a half hours to get through. However, the I mean, the cast is unbelievable, which we knew. But they all came in and performed like at that level. It's just it's very weird to see that level of excellence from the jump. And we've heard a lot about like, oh, this this season is so talented, like anyone could win. And it's like, no, this is actually what it feels like when everybody is at that level. This season, I'm hoping, based on the first two episodes, will show what needs to happen going forward on this show. Because th- they've cut the fat. There's no filler except for Trinity, the Tuck Taylor, as she said, on... <laughs> on the show Mm. we got snatch game on the second episode the biggest problem with this show in recent times has been getting people to care you know and this has shown that you get the greats on the show and this is a this is a solution we care about these winners yeah we don't get to see them once they win their seasons like you listening to sibling rivalry with bob and Monet, right? We see them pop up in pop culture. A few of the other queens pop up every now and then, but we don't get to see them do what they did on the show. Right, unless you're going to see them on tour. Yeah, and we thought, well, why would they do that in this format? And they figured it out. They came up with a new format. They came up with more money. Like, yes, they should be paid a lot more money. Mm -hmm. Anything they do that they win on the show, they get paid for it. Yes. And best believe... World of Wonder, VH1, RuPaul, whatever, you can pay these queens. Especially since uh, all of the intellectual property they produce on the show is owned by the show. (laughs) Right? Like, you're getting them to perform free labor. (laughs) With all, oh, here's a music challenge for RuPaul's new song. (laughs) Write all the lyrics, write all the verses, sing, rap, dance. Yeah. And hey, your prize is uh, Rupita Badge. Oh my god. So there's something that has not changed. We still have to listen to RuPaul music. But let's just talk about Snatch Game for a second. Mm -hmm. Each queen did two characters. A lot of them played uh, male characters. uh, Probably the most ever. And the most uh, effectively. (laughs) Jinx was... uh, I mean, she just, like, defines the game 
because she's done it twice now and it was absolute perfection like both times rue asked her what's over the rainbow it's jinx monsoon <laughs> she said it's a set honey <laughs> judy garland like because she can sing too mm-hmm. there's very little she can't do right the comedy she's got but she can also sing um natasha leone she just has an incredible ear she got the voice i mean i forget the what voice, the line the was, inflection but was there was something she said where having just watched russian doll i was like she's de- i've definitely heard Nat- natasha leone say that exactly like that mm. before and it's just the perfect injection of life into that series honestly yeah and i can't wait to watch the rest of it because you know how apathetic I've been toward this show oh, for yeah. a long time. It's been a time. big chore for you. Like, I come home from work on a Friday because this show is always on in some form or another. And I come home from work on a Friday. I'm like, okay, well, what we're going to we're gonna watch? And then you look at me knowingly and I'm like, oh, my God. <laughs> like, I have time for two or three shows before bed and 90 minutes of it is going to be this. <laughs> Somebody not being sent home again. <laughs> All right. So that's that. Uh, Roland Garros starts on Sunday. May 22nd. Join our Racket Bracket if you're able to, if you get to it with enough time. My name is Jonathan. You can find me on Twitter at tennis underscore John. And I'm James. I'm at Elliot JMR. Two L's, two T's. This is The Body Serve. Find everything Body Serve related at linktree.com slash The Body Serve. We'll be back with you sometime within the week, probably. Mm-hmm. Thanks for listening. Brace yourselves. Till next time. Thank you. Thank you very much.